Day 11 sees us walking from Cadavo Barrera to the historic uh, Roman city of Lugo. Um, now, the, the guidebook said that it was all downhill to Lugo after a brief ascent out of Cadavo. Well, as usual, they lied, and uh, I can remember it quite vividly, uh, sort of half a mile into Lugo itself was quite hard work. Uh, thankfully, we found a little uh, albergue just on the, the, the very outside of the city where we stopped and they had a, a drinks machine and we had this uh, this beautiful um, drink called Aquarius, which um, is a bit like um, a slightly fortified water. I think it's got a little bit of uh, frizzante to it, but, um, but it's really, really refreshing. And that gave us the uh, the strength to push on into the city and find the apartment that Tyg had, uh, had booked for us. Um, again, one of the funniest encounters along the way saw us meet uh, a, a chap in a little albergue that we, we stopped for a, for some refreshment. Um, and you, you'll you'll maybe hear him on the on the recording, but uh, but it absolutely tickled me because it. It took me back to a reference from my very early school days, learning Spanish under the tutelage of the ever-patient uh, Brother McNamara, sadly no longer with us. Um, but certainly some examples of the, the spirit of the Camino, some fantastic Spanish architecture, and some building methods and some rumination on building methods and agriculture and the, the rural ideal of living in, in Spain. Uh, not much to, to record today, but, uh, but it was a fantastic day to walk, as most of these days on the Camino are. Enjoy. Well, would you believe it, another long climb out of uh, the base of the valley in Cadabo this morning. <clears throat> but according to my guidebook, that's it for the day. It's all downhill now as we head towards the the very historic city of Lugo, um, which apparently was originally Celtic, the word Lug being Celtic for sun god or sacred forest. Uh, but the city is most famous for its time under Roman occupation. Uh, it has incredibly big city walls, apparently, uh, and has been declared a uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site. They're the largest surviving Roman walls in the world, two kilometres long, 8.5 metres high, and with 85 towers. I'm quite looking forward to that. So we've booked some um, different accommodation in Lugo tonight, uh, something where we might get a bit of peace and quiet, although last night was pretty good. It was a nice albergue. Um, we had a nice meal in. The uh, Italian group, who seem to have been um, accompanying us in accommodation terms at least they were there as well so we had a good old talk to them and in fact even went out for a drink with them afterwards which was which was very social um waking up this morning is the news that Burt Reynolds has died well not that I'm particularly a great fan of Burt Reynolds but you know end of an era perhaps so according to the guidebook from now on it's downhill all the way and that really is music to my ears Although these days downhill is just about as hard as getting uphill. Um, it certainly has a different effect on the knees. But I'm standing at a marker, another one of our stone monolithos, and it's telling me that it's one, two, 
um, kilometres to Santiago. So with any luck, by the time we get to Lugo, we should be just on 100 or maybe even less. Who knows? Who knows your luck in the big city? So we're about four kilometres out of uh, Castro Verde and uh, we're at a place called Suta de Torres. Um, and there's uh, a typical stone cross here, typical of Galicia, crucifix. Um, and halfway up the crucifix there is a, a, a miniature statue of uh, Santiago Matamoro, or St. James the Moor Killer. That's another part of the legend that surrounds St. James in these parts, in that he, uh, he returned in the guise of um, Santiago Matamoro. In, uh, in one of the significant battles here, uh, the name of which escapes me just at the moment, but um, and uh, inspired the, uh, the the Christians in Spain to defeat the Muslims. Um, so we'll probably see many more of these crosses along the way um, now that we're in Galicia. Um, still very very Catholic uh, this part of the world, although if you go to to church here, you'll probably find that the congregation is again probably like uh, back in the UK, quite elderly. Um, so, it's a lovely morning. The, mo- the walking this morning has been fantastic, largely after that first initial hill, largely sort of downhill or level, through little um, mud tracks through forests, so through dappled sunlight. And uh, um, Thankfully, because the, 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 the sky is absolutely clear today, it's going to be quite warm at some stage, but at least at the moment we're being protected by these uh, trees and the uh, eucalyptus forest and deciduous forests that we've been walking through. Really, really pleasant. The Beatles. Oh. Paul McCartney. I need somebody. <laughs> Not just anybody. Hell, you know, I need somebody now. <laughs> just had the most um, uh, entertaining uh, stop in a little uh, albergue in a village here. And uh, we're busy eating our bit of cake and drinking our cold drinks. And we, we hear this uh, very sonorous voice singing, uh, getting louder and louder coming down the road and into the, um, in the little courtyard where we're having our refreshments walks, this local Spanish guy, no shirt on, um, quite loud, looks a little bit like Franco. If the truth be known, um, and uh, I suspect may have some some issues, um, but he gets speaking to us as he does. You know, we, we're trying desperately not to make eye contact with him because uh, we've we've seen this film before. And uh, he, he comes up and he sits down. And he's talking, is it, and his English is actually quite good. But he's telling us that he's going to learn English, and and then he looks at me and says, "You English? Yes, you're very strong." Yes, Bobby Charlton. He shouts, "Bobby Charlton!" Now I find this absolutely hilarious, and the reason is 
that years and years ago, when I first started learning to speak Spanish at school, um, with with Brother McNamara, and we used to take the mic, me and my mate used to take the mic so much, that when we had a test, uh, a Spanish test, we actually wrote down Bobby Charlton as the answer to every single question. So when this bloke has just said, ah, English, Bobby Charlton, I just, I just absolutely collapsed laughing. <laughs> and then he started singing Beatles songs to us, as you might have uh, been able to hear. Um, just another uh, weird encounter in, in Galicia, in, in northern Spain, on the Camino. Um, if you want entertainment, well, the Camino will provide, and it certainly has provided this morning. So that's, that's really made my day. It's a real, uh, it's a real bonus. You know, whenever, whenever I'm in a, another country, I'm always fascinated by how they build things. Uh, you know, construction methods and materials. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's because my dad was a, was a surveyor. Um, but I'm fascinated by it all. So here I am walking through Galicia. Uh, I mean, notwithstanding that some of these farmhouses are built of incredibly big lumps of stone and it looks like granite so you know pieces of stone probably four foot five foot long by a foot high by a foot deep you know they must weigh a, a ton absolutely literally a ton a piece so god only knows how they lifted them up you know to to lay second and third courses and lintels over windows and doors they must have had to have cranes uh, some sort of lifting equipment but the other thing that struck me immediately uh, when we entered Galicia was that an awful lot of the, t- the roofs uh, like other places are, are tiled in, in slate but the slate is circular so each tile is, is or each piece of slate I should say is circular and there must be so much work has gone in because I'm sure they're all sort of hand shaped uh, and the other thing is that uh, where the uh, the sides of the roof meet on the ridge uh, or even on the hips of, of the roof where we might traditionally have a, a ridge tile that covers the gap um, they don't and they seem to have these points of slate sticking up so uh, having been intrigued by this I found a, a similar roof on, on a low level outbuilding and had a look at it and it's fascinating because those points are actually part of a much bigger slate so if you like the uh, the last course before the ridge uh, is made up of these teardrop shaped slates um, and they're about I don't know about 18 inches from the point of the teardrop if you like to the, the widest part at the round bit at the top but these these ones that make up the ridge about 6 or 8 inches back from the point of the teardrop there are two slots that are cut in from either side and then they interlock them so on either side of the ridge, on the opposite side of the ridge, they will interlock one of these uh, teardrop-shaped slates. 
So you get this almost, I don't know, shark's tooth appearance to the ridge of your roof, which is really quite attractive and probably really efficient. Um, you know, because each one, each slate will hold the other one in next to it. And the other thing that they do here is they, they occasionally place rocks on top of them. So with any luck, you wouldn't lose any to wind, um, which is always a good thing. So there you have it, a little bit of construction methodology here in Galicia that's been fascinating me for a while. The things you think about when you walk in long distances, ah oh well. One of the things that uh, I may have mentioned earlier is that to qualify for the Compostela, the Certificate of Completion of the uh, Camino de Santiago, um, you have to prove by virtue of your credencial, your pilgrim passport, with the necessary stamps on, that you've walked at least the last 100k, last 100 kilometres into Santiago. So when you're doing the Camino Frances, which I did last year, that usually means that at the point you get to a place called Saria, you get loads of people suddenly being dropped off on buses and minibuses and out of cars and God knows what. And all of a sudden, the Camino gets very, very congested. Um, and people walk the last 100k and, and get their compost in. Now, where we are right now is just outside of Lugo. And Lugo is essentially 100k from Santiago. So I'm wondering whether the same phenomenon exists on the Camino Primitivo, i.e. people are starting out from here because we're seeing more and more people that we haven't seen at all along the way. And that's not usual because you tend to bump into the same people day in, day out. Okay, at different times of the day or different times of the evening, whatever it might be. But they're the same people and you recognise them. And we're seeing people who we haven't uh, haven't seen before, and it may not be very charitable, but you almost feel like they're they're playing at it, they're cheating, if that is the case. And it's not, but you know, when you've walked, probably, well, certainly on the on the Camino Frances, you will have walked six hundred and ninety kilometres more than them, and on this one, probably about. 250, 300 kilometres more than them. You can't help but feel a little bit miffed that they're going to get the same certificate you did. You know? It's like you've done a 10-page essay for your own work and they've done a paragraph. It's just not fair sometimes. Anyway, when you're in, in Galicia and uh, enjoying the countryside, it doesn't really matter. But one of the things that I do look at when I'm uh, walking through other countries and one of the things that also fascinates me about them as well as the construction their architecture and their building methods and all that is the agriculture um now this morning's walk through sort of rural galicia rather than the mountains has thrown up a number of different things really but uh, they work so hard these people they really do um and it's all fairly small scale agriculture i think you know very small farms a lot of the farm machinery that they have is old not very sophisticated um and probably like most farmers 
the world over. They seem to take advantage of all the uh, the local uh, materials. So, you know, for fence posts, there'll be roughly hewn columns of rock that have clearly just come out of the ground. Um, various bits of wood used for fencing rather than, you know, timber or lumber that's been bought at a, um, a timber yard. Uh, but yeah, there, you know, there's an awful lot of hard graft. As I'm saying that, I'm walking past a fence to a field full of corn uh, and a fence that's made of four pallets constructed or strung together with some wire. But I was just going to say, you're wandering through this sort of idyllic agricultural rural landscape and you're seeing people working in the fields. Uh, They tend to be older people, but uh, they work so hard. They're grafting away, and a lot of it by hand, you know, as I say, the machinery that they use, the little machinery that they use isn't terribly sophisticated. Um, so you've got one one guy there we passed this morning, muck spreading, just by hand, you know, just his mate is driving the tractor very slowly, and he's just emptying out with a pitchfork all the, uh, the muck onto the field at the back. And then we pass this guy... Uh, and he's, he's tidying up his field. His field's about the size of a football pitch. And he's been round the edge of it and maintained the border with the wall. All done completely by hand with a, with a scythe, or a sickle, I should say, a hand sickle. And about every 10 metres, he's put a little pile of weeds and ferns. And so there's probably, I don't know, maybe... 20 or 30 of these little piles just sitting there but that's 20 or 30 10 10 or 15 minute bouts of hard graft that represents it Um, and you've got to admire these people and think I hope you know with all the advances of technology and the way the world is and everything's going so fast I sincerely hope this way of life is never lost I hope it never changes. Um, just simple, rural, agricultural life. Uh, people producing enough for themselves to eat, maybe a bit to sell. But just living a very simple life that is is honest and hardworking. And something an awful lot of people could learn from. It's certainly quite humbling watching it as we, uh, as we walk through it. People talk about the spirit of the Camino and the generosity of people along the way. Um, Well, we've just walked past uh, a lady, an Italian lady, Paola, who stayed in the same albergue as us last night. And it turns out I was snoring like a bear and I kept her awake most of the night. So she's had about two and a half, three hours sleep all night. Now, that's not really the spirit of the Camino, but tonight... Um, myself and two friends that I've made along the way have booked an apartment in Lugo. It sleeps three, but at a push it will sleep four. So what the guy who's booked the apartment uh, has done is he's just asked Paolo if she'd like to come and stay. And she can have her own bed. I don't know whether she can have her own room, but she certainly won't have to suffer me snoring all night. And she's made up, you know. She's so delighted. 
she's offered to cook us all a meal. She is a wonderful cook because we've seen her cooking along the way. But then she is Italian. Um, so, a nice little, uh, nice little gesture, a nice little example of the Camino spirit and the Camino providing for people along the way. Ah, and to think we want to leave Europe, eh? So here we are in the uh, the central square, the uh, Praça Mayor in um, Lugo. And as you may be able to tell from the background noise, it's really quite busy. Uh, and this is a, a huge difference, huge comparison. 20 to 8 in the evening. Here we are. And uh, the Spanish are just about starting to come out. Now, of course, by this time, we'd usually be doing our washing, doing our drying, and being told by the hospitaleros in the albergue, you've got to be in before 10 o'clock because we're going to lock the door. So, um, it's nice. We've, uh, we've taken an apartment in, uh, in the middle of Lugo, and that gives us the opportunity to sample this uh, city life in this absolutely beautiful city at a time when uh, we normally wouldn't. So, it's... Uh, it's all good, man. We're looking for a restaurant now to eat, and uh, we'll find somewhere a bit later. We came into this restaurant at uh, 8 o'clock this evening, and the lady behind the counter said, uh, yeah, by all means, come in and have a table, but the staff aren't here yet. The kitchen's meant to open at 8 o'clock, but it's not open. It's now about um, an hour, an hour and a half later, and the place is bouncing. And it's bouncing with Spanish people, and that's always a good sign when you're in Spain, because Spanish people know how to eat, and they know where to eat. So we're obviously in the right place, and we've just had a cracking meal, and uh, this is the centre of Lugo at the right time of night. And we wouldn't have done it if we'd been staying at an Alberghi. Very short journal entry today, uh, which reads 7th of the 9th, up and out with Tig and Pirosh. Beautiful day ahead. Gorgeous walking via wooded lanes and dappled shade. Long day, though. About 30 to 32k to Lugo. Great city. Had a walk and a beer with Tig. Who had booked an apartment, invited Paula from Rome en route, and we all went out for a meal. Great restaurant, fantastic atmosphere in a little side street. Met up with the Italian guys and the English guys, brackets, Ryan the KH. I'll let you work out what KH stands for. Um, late night, but a good one, even if I did sleep on the sofa. Well, it's the least I could do to spare Paula the sound of my incessant bear-like snoring and to tell you the truth, I probably drunk so much red wine that it didn't matter. I had a great night's sleep. Anyway, enjoy the episode.